A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at AustralianUFOSightings at Outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to the episode of Encounters Down Under. On this episode we have Man of the Universe Doug Moffat who is a UFO researcher and investigator and talks about his long life passion and career investigating the UFO phenomena. So please welcome to the show, Doug Moffat. Welcome to the show there, Doug. Yeah, thank you Anthony. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to come on your show. No mate, it's great mate. Thanks for coming, getting in touch with me mate. Um, it's absolutely awesome having you on here. Um, now you've had like a fair bit of experience when it comes to the UFO topic um, going from researching investigations all that sort of stuff um you even had a little bit of experience of your own there mate mate tell us tell us who you are what got you down this whole path of ufos well i go right back to when i was about uh i was living in lidcombe in the inner western suburbs of sydney and uh i it's funny i had this conversation with some random guy where i live now in nimba young guy in the street, and we were talking about um, uh, directions, directions of where our life was going to go. And I recalled to him that when I was about seven or eight, I was wandering around the playground of uh, Leedcombe Public, and I thought, what do I want to do with my life? And I thought, I want anything to do with UFOs. Anything to do with UFOs, that's what I want to do as a living. 
that I was smart enough to know I ain't going to get a government job. I'm not going to get a media job. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, I'm going to have to go do office work or something like, like that, you know. Now, you know, I'm 62 now, and I have a radio show on MFM where I do UFOs. I also have a philosophy show. I also have a music show. So I am living my dream, but it took a long time to do it. But that's basically what I do for a living is talk about UFO stuff. And I was fascinated initially by space when I was a young child. Um, I could recite the planets um, from the sun outwards before I even went to school. And I'm not a genius, but it was just because I was interested in the subject of space. And then it, I remember, again, around about the same time, probably about eight, it was 1967. And I, I was sitting with my grandparents and my parents uh, in their home in Lidcombe. And the ABC News came on, which it does at about 10 o'clock or something or other, like a little five-minute news. And it mentioned the Snippy case. And for those of you who may know the Snippy case, that was the first animal mutilation of a horse that made mainstream news. And the horse was had specific parts of its body removed. There was no blood left in the horse. There was no blood around the area. And this is ABC News, right? And they said that the what is believed by authorities is that this is the work of aliens. And I was eight and, and looking and thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is ABC News. And they're saying this is the work of aliens. That's the most logical explanation because there was no blood, because it was surgically removed. Like, this is not, not some satanic, satanic group or something, you know. That was the snippy case of 1967 in America. And I guess I say I evolved from the geography of space to the biology of space. So originally I was involved with the geography of space, like, okay, you know, how big is the galaxy? How big is the universe? You know, uh, you know how fast the rockets go and all that kind of thing. To, okay, well now I've accepted that, that, you know, what's out there? Who's out there? What is the biology of this? Because I knew from a very early age, the universe was very, very big. So that, that, that created a vibe where I thought about the subject a lot. And my personal uh, understanding of intelligence on any subject is how much time have you spent thinking about it? I don't care whether you have a PhD or BSc or anything. I have argued with skeptics. On at the University of New South Wales, I debated Charlie Lineweaver and Professor John Webb. Um, I have debated skeptics on all manner of TV shows. And the difference is that I have spent far more time thinking about this subject than they have because they are dismissive of the subject. So that sort of pretty much. Uh, made me who I was. So for the rest of my life, up until 33, I was 
I would look at, I got all my information from mainstream media, you know, from newspapers and magazines and, you know, bits, documentaries that might happen, the odd documentary that might happen on TV. But that's where I got all my information from. And I read a lot of physics stuff and science stuff and things like that were in various magazines. So I was coming from an extremely conservative point of view in regard to the UFO phenomenon. And then at age of about 33, I was told there was a UFO conference happening in uh, um, at King's Cross. And uh, Bud Hopkins was there and there was a number of luminaries from all over the world. You know, it was a very big conference. And so I went along to this conference um, and at the conference, there was a stand there that was manned by UFO Research New South Wales. Uh, and they were advertising an investigators course. And I, as a person who had spent all my life thinking about UFOs, were going, oh, my God, how silly. A UFO investigator, what are you doing, running around looking for UFOs in long grass? Like, like you know, how silly. Like, uh, just, they just happen when they happen. You know, how do you investigate this phenomenon? It's so random, you know. I thought it's a, you know, silly waste of time. Anyway... I thought about it for a couple of weeks and eventually I thought, oh, damn it, I'll, I'll do it. You know, huh? this is a big interest of mine, so go and do it. And um, I was very pleasantly surprised when I did the course at Surrey Hills. Uh, we got this big manual that you could hardly jump over. And what it did was explain to me everything about IFOs, identifiable flying objects. So I knew that a meteor... A meteor took about three seconds to, to cover the horizon. It seemed to dip as it went because it was going over the curvature of the planet. It, it went in different colors, depending on whether it was aluminum-based or carbonaceous-based or some other sort of product that the uh, uh, meteorite was made of. So I learned about all these things, and I learned about you know satellites and, and what they would do and all this sort of thing, which gave me a lot of confidence then to be able to go out and do investigations, which was obviously the case point, to go out and do investigations and be able to do those investigations and not sully the pit of information we had on UFOs because if it was Venus, I'd call it. If it was a weather balloon, I'd call it. If it was a meteorite, I'd call it. So I knew the difference between these things, which gave me confidence. Um, so when I spoke to people, and most people I spoke to, you know, this is one of the things that if somebody bothers to ring up a UFO organization, they've usually had a decent sort of sighting, uh, uh, right? I've read research that one in 10 sightings are reported. One in 10, right? So... Regardless of the quality of the sightings, only one in ten are, uh, are reported. And so those one in ten are usually really good sightings where people are scratching their head and going, that is not what a satellite does. So I'm going to ring up, you know, a, a, a group and try and ascertain what this was. And it was a very interesting process because the people would ring up and they would, you know, uh, tell me about what they've seen. And the first thing they'd want to say is, is this a UFO? Is this, you know, is, what, what are these UFOs? I know nothing about UFOs. 
Are they coming from another planet? What's happening? And, of course, our mantra was don't say anything until you got the report because you're going to color the report. So I'd go, look, we'll talk about that at the end of the report. In the first instance, I just want to get the facts of what you've seen. And we'll talk about who they are, what they are, and everything else later. So we would do that process. Now, I used to speak to people for 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. And sometimes it would be mum, dad, and the two kids. And I'd say, okay, did you say it went blue first and green then, or was it green first and blue then? And then the mum would be on the phone, honey, did it go green first or blue first or blue first? No, it went green first, one of the kids would say, green first and blue. Okay, thank you. You know, this this would go on for like 45 minutes to an hour. And one of the things that I asked psychologists, I asked psychologists, that I because I wasn't afraid to ring people up and just go, do you think this is crap? You tell me why it's crap. Now, you tell me why this family spent 45 minutes talking to me about this sighting that they had. They are not delusional. They are not crazy. They have not had a mass delusion. There's only four of them. How do you have a mass delusion with four people? You have a mass delusion when you have 20,000 avid Catholics on a hill looking up and seeing the face of Mother Mary. That's when you have a mass delusion. Not with four people on the back veranda. So why are these people doing this? There's no joke at the end. There's no nothing. So that was enough for me, even though I hadn't seen anything. That was enough for me to go, well, this doesn't make sense. If these people aren't telling the truth, then I have no explanation why they are not telling the truth. I have no explanation as to their agenda. So that was enough to convince me, even though I was already convinced by, by the evidence that I'd accumulated through mainstream media, which was very, very conservative. But I still had enough information after that to know that this was a real phenomenon because people re were reacting to this in a way that I had no other explanation other than they had really seen what they had seen. Um, and and as, as life went on, and I, I spoke to people that rang up through either UFO Research New South Wales or the Australian UFO Research Network, or like I would put my, I was never afraid, never afraid of saying, I'm a UFO dude, never afraid of that. And so I would go to workplaces and I go, yeah, I'm a UFO dude, I end a UFO, you know. And, yeah, I'd take a bit of crap from people and all that thing. But the point is, I knew what I was talking about. So I'd be able to say, well, what about this, this, and this? And they'd shut up because they didn't know what they were talking about. They watched a documentary once that said, oh, it's all weather balloons. And I had far more knowledge than they did, so I was able to shut them down. And the other benefit of that was that people would come up to me in my workplace and tell me, about their stories, their personal stories. In a quiet moment, come up and say hello. I remember one woman I worked with, she, you told me her brother and his friend, they uh, had a fishing spot, favorite fishing spot up at Lake Manmora in the Central Coast. 
and uh, they had to walk through waterboard uh, territory to get to this fishing spot, which was illegal, but they did it anyway, and they carried their tinny through the um, waterboard ground and, you know, da-da-da. And then they went out, and they had a mo outboard motor and all that kind of thing, and they went out deep into the lake, and they were fishing. And then they saw this giant UFO over the lake with a light, a, a beam of light, projecting into the water, like a, a, a funnel of light projecting into the water, as though the UFO was looking for something, usually like a, using a torch. And they were terrified, of course. Um, and they turned off their radio, because the radio actually had the interference before the object appeared, which is standard operational procedure. Um, electromagnetic interference, probably. So... The radio went out, you know, and then boom, there's things here. And then they're terrified and they're just sitting there not saying anything and hoping this light does not land on their little tinny. Anyway, so the UFO went through and the light did not land on their little tinny. Um, and they were so frightened, they rowed back to shore and they were very deep out at the lake. And it took them hours and hours and hours to row back because they were too scared to put the motor on in case the UFO heard the motor and came back. So this is someone's brother. And she said to me, I obviously have known my brother all my life. And he does not make up stories like this. That was enough for me. You know, that that is one of many, many many stories that I have been told. I had a uh, conversation with a man who was a uh, flight engineer on a Qantas flight in the early 70s going from Europe uh, to England on a 727. Now, I don't know how many people fit on a 727, but I'd say it's probably 100 or something like that. You know, a fair amount of people. And it was a packed plane. And they were traveling across the English Channel when they observed visually, the whole flight crew observed visually an object that was, they were traveling at 37,000 feet. This object was traveling at 42,000 feet against the wind, 10 knots against the wind. So obviously not a weather balloon. Um... And they were being tracked because Heathrow is a very busy airport. They were being tracked by Ronan, uh, Shannon, Shannon Airport in Ireland. And so they contacted Shannon Airport and said, can you confirm we have a UFO at 42,000 feet? They estimated it to be five times the size of their 727. And Ronan Air uh, Shannon Airport in Ireland confirmed the object. Now, the object was like a funnel, an upturned funnel. You know, a funnel like you put oil into your car, right? So it had a, uh, a funnel at the top and then a flange went at the bottom. And it was traveling uh, upright, upright. Not like you think of a, a spaceship or something. Is like the nose bit and then going out to the flange, like that's aerodynamics, right? This thing was upright. 
And this guy I spoke to, who was the flight engineer, he said, I was looking at this object and saying, that is the most unaerodynamic thing I have ever seen. It's like a flying elephant. It shouldn't be doing this. It's just wrong aerodynamically. It's not meant for our atmosphere, is what he said. It's not meant to be flying in our atmosphere. Anyway, things get weirder, right? Because I said to him, I said, were you concerned or were the other flight uh, crew concerned about this object? It's five times bigger than your 727. It's traveling at 5,000 feet above you. You know, it's not that far away. Were you concerned about this? You know, if you confirmed by Shannon Airport. And he said, no, he said, all I could think of was, what the hell is this thing doing in our atmosphere? And anyway, I said, well, you're concerned about the, the passengers seeing this object and freaking out. And he said, no. He said, actually, the pilot made an announcement to the passengers. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look to the starboard window, we have a UFO traveling at 40,000 feet at 10 knots into the wind. And everyone got up. This is the early 70s. No mobile phones, no cameras. Right. Everyone got up, looked out the window, and saw this thing. Right. You've got 100 passengers, maybe more. I don't know how many is on the 727. You've got the entire flight crew. It was tracked by Shannon Airport in Ireland. And I said, so what ha happened when you landed Heathrow? And he said, we all just got off the plane. I said, what? Yeah, you didn't have a press conference or something? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you got a hundred people in this plane that all saw it. You've got the entire flight crew. You've got it confirmed by radar. And everyone just walked off the plane and didn't discuss it. And I said to him, this is many years. I spoke to him in the late 90s. This is over 20 years since the object, uh, since the incident. And I said, I think that's really weird. And he said, but, you know, thinking about it, it probably was weird. You know, but it was just what they did. There was much care for it back then. Well, I think it was just, it was just, who's going to believe me? But, you know, like a lot of people say, a lot of skeptics say, you know, oh, you know, you, there's no multiple sightings and that sort of thing. You know, there's only just, you know, one or two people and they're probably on drugs or some damn thing, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's like, you do have a multiple sighting like this and people still don't have the confidence to be able to come out and say they have seen something that is outside the paradigm of what we regard as reality yeah it's a shame isn't it like um like going back to when you were saying um you know the people who are, like, who are reporting these things they've got nothing to gain from this um so there's no, no reason for them to lie um you know they don't make any money out of it uh, they don't get any sort of I don't know nothing there's nothing nothing to gain it's just it's a sad reality and it's like you know people trying to keep 
trying to continue to discredit them and disrespect the whole topic, you know? And it's like, well, these people can't be lying for just for the sake of it. They're not, not everyone's trying to seek attention. Um, unfortunately, the reality is actually out there. These things are out there and people are seeing these things. And yeah, sure, people are scared to come forward because they are going to be classed as a crazy person. And I suppose today's day and age, we are slowly getting away from the agenda that is attached to this topic. But it's still there, unfortunately. And like, you know, with people coming out more and more, and especially with the uh, the American military coming forward with their their stuff, you know, it's the reality. Reality is there, and people should should at least now be opening up their eyes and ears and going, all right. Maybe there is something in there. All these people in the past that have been reporting these things aren't crazy or on drugs or, you know, whatever. Because there's nothing exactly. to get from this. And I, you know, I mean, it was always one of the my beliefs that drove me through the investigators and, you know, and drove me into the media, uh, which I, you know, ended up being media spokesman for UFO Research New South Wales, which is the largest UFO group in Australia, um, you know, for 20 years was because people have the right to be believed. And, and just because it's out of your paradigm, it, it, out of your experience realm, does not mean it is something to be ridiculed. I have never climbed Mount Everest. I do not ridicule people who claim to have climbed Mount Everest because I haven't done it. It's out of my paradigm. It's out of my reality. But I'm not saying they didn't do it. And it's the same thing with UFOs. No, not, not everyone sees UFOs. Some people don't. And it's a very interesting subject in itself um, as to why some people see UFOs at certain times and why some people seemingly don't. Um, is, it, is it something to do with extrasensory, extrasensory perception? Is, is it something to do with our ability to see something that is perhaps beyond our five senses that some people can pick up. Like I've spoken like a typical, uh, you know, response that I've got a lot is you'd get some little old lady who was out in the backyard um, watering her garden and and she was just putting the nozzle on the tap to, to water her garden. And she would say, and for some reason, I looked behind me and there was a UFO. Why did she look behind her? She didn't look behind her, she would not know. So there's a very real link between extrasensory perception and particularly multiple like, if you're looking at one-off UFO sightings, that could be right place at the right time. You know, simple. You know, like, boom. I knew looking up. I saw it. It was there. Yeah. But, we, but I was very perplexed when I was doing researches by talking to people who had multiple sightings. And I thought, most people only see one. If that. How come you've had seen 20 and yet, I believe you that you have seen 20. So what's going on there? And I believe that these people that particularly have multiple sightings have very strong extrasensory perception uh, realities 
that it's like if someone's looking at you from the back. Sometimes you know someone's looking at you and you turn around to see who's looking at you, you know. It's that kind of thing um, because that's what it is. It, they are observing us. Yeah. It sort of makes me wonder too, like with these people who are having multiple sightings, are they claiming possible stars on the horizon as being a craft as well? Um, are they, or are they actually seeing these physical crafts sort of zooming around a little bit, you know? Because I've, I've had reports there where people have sort of like, this, you know, Sirius star, when it's on the horizon, it goes off its nut. It's a beautiful star. It's flickering between red, blue, and white. And we've got Venus on the horizon. You know, people are seeing that and mistaking that a lot. So, like, how much of these people who are having these multiple sightings are either mistaking something or actually seeing something for real? Well, well yeah, good question. Um, there's two things to that. One, I've been very trained in uh, what is an identifiable flying object. So I'll be able to tell whether that was a meteor or whether that was Venus or whether it was what it was. I've had those cases. I've had people, you know, mesmerized by Venus, you know, and, and you've got two aspects of, of Venus. One is uh, the fact that your eyes actually are floating in your head, so they actually bobble around a bit. And the fact that you, when Venus is very low on the rise and you're looking through the thickest part of the atmosphere, so it's a bit like looking through that frosted glass in bathrooms and things like that where you can't see through it. So it distorts the image and makes it flicker around a bit. So so I know how to separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were, um, from that point of view. And, yes, so but what these people are reporting as seeing, uh, uh, in a lot of cases, I don't have explanations for. Um, and yet they are seeing it in, in, in multiple times, which doesn't seem, it, it's not a probability. From a probability point of view, it doesn't make sense. Why does many people see none and some see one and this person sees 20? So, but the whole ESP thing, I think, comes into it because I have, uh, you know, evaluated also the fact that they haven't escalated their sightings. So this is just one of those things that you you get from experience. If you do a lot of, like I go in there and I've got to be honest, you know, I'm like a cop. I go in there and I'm just trying to suss these people out, you know, are they delusional? Maybe they are, you know, uh, um, and I have met one or two, which are not very many considering I've, interviewed hundreds of people i've met one or two that i would classify as delusion and i can tell by the way that their their experiences will tend to increase 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 and also their experiences will generally reflect the fact that their life is not going well so it's it's uh, and, and this is a very interesting chicken or the egg sort of question because if you were abducted by aliens on a regular basis would you be feeling you a bit crazy i would yeah absolutely and you're a bit crazy 
would you think you were being abducted by aliens on a, on a regular basis? Probably. So it's very difficult sometimes to sort the wheat from the chaff, but ultimately it is, I believe, in the human ability to be able to ascertain someone else's truth. You know, that intuitive ability as well as the mental ability of knowing that it's not, it seems to be encapsulated. It doesn't seem to be uh, a excuse for any other aspect of their life that's not going well. Yeah, so basically they're the ones that are basically just trying to seek attention there for their own ego and justify their existence on the topic sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, for, for, you know, as I said, a very, very small number that I've spoken to, like a two, I would say, um, that is just, you know, their thing is to explain the fact that their life is not going well, um, and the reason is because this has happened. But yeah, other people have just explained what was happening, and it just seems like full stop. Like, well, that's it. That's what happened. Um, so it's, it, there's, no, there's no extension of that. Uh, into the rest of their life, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, interesting. So, yeah, um, I just want to go back on to where you were mentioning where you started first investigating and you did the investigation course. Um, that's quite interesting to me. Like, you, because you wouldn't think there would be a thing to exist on that sort of topic. So, it sort of makes me wonder. Like, the the book that sort of gave you and the organisation who was doing the course. Mm. Is it like a bit of a bill uh, a um, military background, or is it sort of like a university that sort of took insight to it or what What was the sort of background and where this investigation sort of things came into it? Well, well the the course, the manual was put together by uh, the president at that time of UFO Research New South Wales, whose name was Brian Dickerson, who had years and years and years of research uh, experience and his parents were from New Zealand and they had years and years and years of UFO experience. And he used to work uh, for government departments putting um, manuals together for how-to stuff. So he was the perfect candidate to put this. He was the perfect model to put this manual together. And obviously he was a, he was a very scientific man. Um, and so he did a lot of research into things like meteorites and satellites and Venus and scintillation, which is the effect that Venus has when it's low on the horizon is called scintillation um, and a whole range of other things. So the manuals were very, very, uh, very useful in, in identifying, um, you know, the, the sorting the wheat from the char, but he was the perfect person um, to do that. That's very interesting. That's that's good because, um, like, yeah, like you know, people who are sort of interested in the whole topic there, or even want to try and pursue a bit of a, a career or a passion into this sort of genre, they got no real way of um, you know, like, sort of getting into it a bit. Like even myself, like I sort of had like self teach myself a little bit and go off, like sort of rub off other people as well who have had experiences in the investigation side of things. So, like, for people who are sort of interested in this sort of thing, how can they go about? obtain this manual if it's available well the, the manual isn't available but google google baby google because everything is in google 
right? Now, if, if anything that before Google, um, because I was doing investigations before Google, um, and I would ring up physicists from universities and say, look, I'm, you know, my name's Doug Moffat from UFO Research of Wales. I have a, a report that I'm hoping you can help me with. It's probably some identifiable thing, but I'm just wondering if you can help me with it. And generally speaking, they were, you know, I, I'll give you 30 seconds, you know, um, once you say you're from a UFO crew, yeah. you know. And, then, um, and I remember one particular case where I was talking about it, and I'd actually um, done a bit of research beforehand on it. And uh, and they were saying, oh, it's probably just something that happened before because there's uh, nautical sunrise and sunrise and nautical sunrise, which are two different things. Um, yeah. Anyway, you said, oh, well, that would have happened after. And I said, no, it didn't. You know, I've looked into it. And no, I didn't, you know. And then, oh, that could have been that. Well, no, Venus was in a different part of the uh, plane. So it couldn't have been Venus. And no, it was traveling, the wind direction was this, so it wasn't a weather balloon because it was traveling into the wind or whatever. And then they, they would give you respect then, but they would initially not give you any respect at all, assuming you were UFO nut. And anyway, so then I would have their attention, they go, oh, okay, all right, okay. And they would just look at it as a, a physics problem or whatever. Um, but then when Google came along, you know, I was able to, to look at all these things, you know, because obviously I don't know anything, you know, everything. So, you know, it was good to look up these things and just sort of, um, if I came to a brick wall and I didn't understand what was going on or, you know, what could happen or what potentially could happen in a situation or what it could be, I would Google it up and, and yeah, the information was there. So, it's just a matter, it is an investigation. You know, UFO investigation is ultimately investigation, absolutely no different to a police investigation where you have suspects, where you have prime suspects, where you eradicate suspects because of information that comes in. So it's no different to a police investigation. So you determine what is you know, what, what the facts of the matter is. Um, and as I said, you, you know, Google is a, a great way of doing that. So it's like, you know, to anybody who wants to get into the investigative field, um, you know, for their own benefits or, you know, want to help their friends or whatever, you know, there, there there's plenty of help on Google to be able to do that. You've just got to attack it in the same way that a detective attacks a murder case. And, go through the process yeah there's a lot that people don't understand too like uh um particularly like when i'm like because i've got the australian UFO sightings page and people are posting up uh, their sightings and stuff like that and like you know we've had people who are sort of complaining going why do we need to have times and dates you know all that sort of stuff why does it have to have informations um why does it have to have our locations like well we don't need your actual location we just need the general area where this happened purely for the fact like Hopefully someone else saw it and sort of mm. back up there from their perspective. Um, you know, other things are like what was in that area at the same time. Like could a plane have gone past? Could have 
uh, yeah. you know, stars, you know, it, all these things align. Like, as much detail as you, as you could possibly give, it, it helps a massive load when it comes to trying to figure out what it is first before trying to say it is an alien or craft or whatever. Um, and that's the thing I find, like, a lot of people sort of get a little bit frustrated with it. Um, I don't know, I get frustrated on my end there when there's, like, a bit of a lack of detail on something, you know, especially when you go through Facebook groups and pages, like, where they're just posting absolute crap on there. Um, you know, it's, just a, it's a blip in the, in the night sky there with no information, no details, and you're like, going, what am I supposed to do with that? I, you know, and it's, mm. it's, it's frustrating. And I suppose when it comes from the other side of the fence there where people looking at investigators, um, they're like, going, well, you're an UFO investigator. You believe in these things. Why can't you believe me when I say it's an alien? And it's like, well, you can't do that. You can't jump and assume that it's going to be an alien craft. Um, unless it's like you see something that's doing like you know that defies all our known logic, like zipping across the sky, that's absolutely phenomenal. Then yeah, of course you, you can claim as probably as an alien craft by all means. But I, I feel like you know people need to start showing a bit more respect and towards the investigator side of things as well. When we're trying to, we're not trying to stroke the egos of people who want to claim them. You know, we're, we're trying to get an idea of and set the reality. Mm and not give actual discredit to the whole topic because the moment yeah, you we... don't want to muddy the water. Yeah, so basically like, the moment we start all believing that they're aliens, then, you know, it, the whole thing just goes to shit, basically. Yeah. So I, th- I think, uh, you know, to me, you know, I know UFO stands for, officially, according to Galen Hynek, unidentified flying objects. But to me... There is a difference between unidentified flying objects and unknown flying objects. It might sound very very pedantic, but unidentified flying objects may be Venus, may be a weather balloon, may be a plane, may be a satellite. An unknown flying object is different. So when I've, I've talked to people like, you know, the Qantas flight and that sort of thing. That was not an unidentified flying object. That was an unknown flying object. That, that was different. There was no way that was Venus or weather balloon or any other damn thing you can think of. So people have seen unknown flying objects. And, and you know, lucky them because, yeah, again, and, you know, like where it happened and that sort of thing is important. But the point is that what they are describing is not something that could be a satellite, that could be this, it could be that. It is, you know, I'm looking at the saucer above your head here. I'm talking about people that have seen that kind of thing, 20 metres above the house. Like, that's not unidentified. That is unknown. So that's when you get into a different, different category of sighting. And, you know, I guess that's where the juice is, you know, for me and a lot of other people, you know, the investigators, that when people explain their sighting, and sometimes I can say, oh, well, that sounds like a meteor or that sounds like this, think of that. But in many, many other occasions, I have, I have no explanation because I know nothing absolutely nothing that does that yeah satellites do not do right angle turns 
They don't. It doesn't happen. Neither do meteorites or meteors. So, you know, there are things that, that again, it's a definition within a definition. That the unknown is is very much different to the unidentified. Yeah, definitely. And most of the time when you're talking about the unidentified, um, you know, yeah, you know, like that's where, okay, you know, you, you that's where the detail is sort of to some extent more important because that's that's where you can define that it, it may have been a meteor, it may have been this, it may have been that. But when somebody sees, if you look at the Knowles family abduction case, you know, over the Nullarbor or, or Wendy and Scott Longley abduction case and Crofts Harbour Casino, um, Kelly Carhill, you know, and so on. These are not, you know, unknown. Uh, these are not unidentified. <laughs> they are unknown, you know, and they're, they're going beyond that level where um, they, where it's even possible to be anything that we know. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, sort of, it does broaden the aspect of the differences uh, when you mention all of that. Um, and I suppose, like, everyone's still, you know, as you're saying, the UFO, everyone just assumes UFO immediately means alien, you know. And sure, you know, that's something that's sort of stuck to it over the years and that. But, yeah, like as you're saying, you need to sort of split that apart and really determine, like, I suppose that's where they come with the uh, UAP, I suppose, to try and break away from that as well. Um, it sort of works, but, you know, it doesn't at the same time because it could mean a lot of things you know, in its own way as well. Yeah, I I, I'm just not a big fan of this constant changing of the name. Um, as I said, I just think it, it, it really needs to be, if we are talking about really interesting UFOs, we're talking about unknown flying objects, not unidentified. And that is a big difference. You know, something that I have to consider as could be this, it could be that, is an unidentified. Something that I just go... Nothing does. Is an unknown. Yeah. Would you claim that as a, a phenomenon though, as like a UAP? Would that? Would you? Do you feel satisfied on that sort of term? Well, again, you know, UFO is is pretty much what everyone uh, understands as uh, the object that you know. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that someone's seen that they can't identify, and it, yeah, UFOs sometimes are Venus, and sometimes they might not be, and and all that kind of thing. But uh, uh, yeah, it comes down to the facts of the observation. You know, that's ultimately what it comes down to. You know, like what you know, it's like all these fighter pilots, naval pilots that have seen this stuff, and, and these objects drop. 20,000 feet in a second. There ain't no unidentified objects. Nothing does that. Nothing that we are aware of. Nothing that fits the laws of physics on this planet does that. So we're talking about an unknown. Perhaps it's from another planet. Perhaps it's from another dimension. Perhaps it's from the future. But it's unknown. That's the biggest thing. We will never know, I suppose. Well, at least I'm hoping we'll know in this lifetime, but I don't think so. Not for a long time, anyway. 
but um, it sort of makes you wonder what the the future holds with the Americans admitting to their side of things when it comes to these unknown crafts. Um, like, how much are they admitting to, or how much are they falsifying to their understanding? Um, you know, I sort of have a feeling that they know exactly what these things are. They just don't want to go and really claim, you know, because they're claiming national security sort of stuff. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I certainly they know more than what they're letting on. This is the redacting of all the reports, and you know, you, we can't let you know that because that's national security. Um, so therefore, all of the important aspects of the sighting uh, are withheld from Congress and from the government and from the people. So how are we ever going to know what's going on? We're never going to know. So Mike Gallagher, the congressman, um, has asked for a amendment to be made to the National Securities Act, whereby it frees people up, employer, employees of these government agencies are now free to talk about this UFO phenomenon without fear of you know, having their pensions taken away or being sacked or anything else. So this is a very important part. Now, the amendment may or may not go through. I don't know. But it's been proposed. But this is a very important part of it because, uh, you know, people like Lou Elizondo, who have come out as, as whistleblowers, and uh, Bob Lazar, you know, and, and so on and so on, Bob Dean, you know, there's a lot of them, Gordon Cooper even, you know, like um, these Edgar Mitchell. You know, and you go on and on about these people that uh, are told not to talk about this stuff, but they do. Yeah, I because sort of, it's important. it is important, um, and I sort of feel like um, you know the credibility needs to come back to these pilots who have lost their position or lost their jobs, um, you know, because they had seen something. You know, pilots got questioned there. Uh, the the health, you know, the the mentality when they reported these things or seen these things, and so I sort of feel like America or whoever you know needs to be held accountable for these pilots and their careers that they lost on this because now that America has admitted to this, well, these pilots deserve something in return for something that they lost, you know. I sort of yes. feel for these pilots. Yes, and and you know, I mean, in, in it's you know, uh, it's a long time in coming, and as you said, it doesn't help those people who have come out and said something, and you know, had their careers damaged or been sacked or, or whatever. But now, even with this latest agency that is looking into the UFO phenomenon, um, they are encouraging uh, military pilots, the naval. Uh, the naval pilots now have a mechanism to report UFOs where they didn't a matter of five or six years ago. There was no mechanism. It was just like, oh, well, you tell commander and you give him all shut up. Don't talk about it. And that was it. You know. So now there is a proper mechanism that will go through to this department, through other departments that will look at this and, and interface with other departments and exchange in, intel and information about it. Uh, they're also uh, connected up with commercial pilots as well, 
and they're encouraging commercial pilots to report things. Now, there was a case in the um, early 80s in Australia where, and this is illuminating the point, right, um, where Qantas pilots for whatever, you know, maybe it was a UFO flap in the, in the early 1980s in Australia. I don't know. But Qantas pilots were seeing a lot of UFOs. And they were reporting them, you know, because, well, one, because why would you not? And two, it, it's, it's, it's safety, air safety. You know, it, it, you know, they've got radar and they've got this plane is here and this plane is here. And, and that's why planes don't bang into each other. And then you've got something here that shouldn't be here. And it's like a kilometer away from me. What the hell is it doing here? What is it? You know, like it shouldn't be here. So this is why the pilots reported this stuff. Anyway, so Qantas thought this was bad for business because a lot of these pilot reports were going into the Daily Telegraph and newspapers and all that kind of thing. You know, another Qantas pilot sees UFO, right? So Qantas management thought this is not good for business. People are going to be scared to go up and plane because they're going to be worried about, you know, crashing into a UFO or they're going to think the pilots are all nuts because they're seeing UFOs all the time. It's not good for business. So what they decided, they got a hired a physicist uh, who lived in the Central Coast, and they sent all the pilots who had UFO reports to this physicist. And this physicist would say to them, "You've seen Venus," and the pilot would say, "I know it wasn't Venus. Like I've been a pilot for thirty years. You know, it wasn't Venus. I know what I saw, and it was not Venus." And the guy would say, "Well." You can either admit to Venus, because one of the other things about this is that when pilots are taken off flight duty, their pay is halved. So when they're flying, they get twice as much money as when they're not flying. So when they were with this physicist, they were not flying. So their pay was halved, and they were not, and they were taken away from their family, from their wife and kids, for up to a week or two weeks, until such time as they admitted that it was actually Venus or actually a flock of birds. Right, now you can go back and see your family. Now you can go back and get on to full flight pay. Wow. That's brutal. Right. Yes, and this is what happened in the early 1980s. Now, so what happened was the pilots would go back and they go, hey, Fred, where you been? Oh, I've been up to this dude, the Central Coast. He's telling me that I didn't see this UFO and he wouldn't let me go until I'd admitted it wasn't a UFO. Well, guess what? The UFO reports by Qantas pilots stopped. Who would have thought? Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? And, yeah, that's where I'm hoping that with all this admitting to these crafts being out there, well, especially from the American military, that there's going to be some sort of credibility or credible action taken against all these airline companies or something, you know, where people have lost their careers on it. Um, yeah, well, these things are real. Yeah, it was a famous Japan Airlines flight over Anchorage, uh, route of Anchorage, Alaska, um, where uh, Ken Callahan uh, investigated this case, who was from the FAA uh, in America. And anyway, this Japan Airlines flight was um, was shadowed by this gigantic um, round object. And the Japan Airlines flight asked for uh, to turn around 
right, which is very rare for aircraft to hold ask to change direction because, again, you've got to make sure there's no other craft in the area and all that kind of thing, you know. So it's not something you do, you know, very easily. So they said, yes, we'll give you permission. You know, I've got this huge UFO that's, you know, many times bigger than my plane and it's shattering me and I want to get away from it. Yes, you can change direction. It changed direction, looped down. The thing followed it and went back and followed it for a while. And, and eventually it, it uh, and this was all collaborated by Anchorage uh, Airport on radar that they actually had this large object that was floating around this plane. And uh, anyway, so he eventually sort of, and this is a very experienced pilot with thousands and thousands of hours of flying hours. So he eventually got to Japan and he spoke about it and was sacked. Now, Ken Callahan, because this happened in, in American airspace, because it was just outside of Alaska, he was involved in the FAA investigation of it. So he, he took all the radar reports. He spoke to the Japan uh, 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 flight crew who all saw this object. He spoke to the radar personnel who interfa interfaced with the uh, flight crew, got all the information on it. And then he was asked to have a meeting with the CIA about it. And he concluded that is, this was a UFO, right, in the, in the true sense of the word, a unknown flying object. And so he had a meeting with the CIA. And, and the CIA said, what do you make of this, Ken? He said, it's an unknown, definite unknown. It's not from this planet. And they said, uh-huh. And he said, have you got, you got uh, radar printouts and verbal printouts and verbal stuff from the flight crew? And Yeah, yeah. All right, you'd like to give that to us, please? Said, yeah, okay. Said, okay, what happens now? And they said, forget about it, Ken. Just forget about it. Now, Ken Callahan took copies of everything. Clever and he man. went on the circuits for years afterwards, showing the radar stuff, showing, listening what the pilot said, everything like that. He was able to do it. Now, he wasn't, you know, I mean, he wasn't, you know, men in blacked or anything like that. But, yeah, that's what happened with him. No, well done to him for actually even thinking of making copies because um, a lot of time people don't think twice on that sort of thing. You know, they just go, oh, that's it, done and deal. And then, you know, next to their classes are another. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, uh, and again, you know, with these military cases, there was 2014, there was a case off uh, the east coast of America where the naval fleet were, or the, the aircraft, the naval aircraft, were buzzed constantly by UFOs and had many near misses. And the commanders were saying, we need to do something about this. Someone is going to die. This is not funny. You know, this is, forget about anything to do with whether they're from outer space or whatever. This is air safety. Forget about anything else. This is air safety. 101. Um, and they were pleading with their superiors to do something about this. You know, and of course, nothing happened. 
And that was in 2014. And and this is ongoing since then, where Ryan Graves, um, one of the fighter pilots recently retired, is saying that he used to see these sort of things daily on his manoeuvres. UFOs, daily. It sort of makes you wonder too, like um, with the America, like when, you know, um, they're saying like, you know, these things are a air safety thing. America's saying the same thing. It's, it's a national security, but it's not just a national security. It's a, it's a worldwide security thing. And as yeah, much as we're reliant on America leading the way of military or, you know, just, you know, especially Australia in particular, like we're so reliant on America's agenda of the world. Yep. And if these guys are claiming national security, why isn't Australia following on the same path going, look, we need to go and look at this even more? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Australia Australia has, uh, again, I'll tell you a story about that, an insider story, um, that a fellow was uh, at a air, air, air base in... in um, can't remember where it was now, but anyway, it was in an airbase, air I think an hour away. And um, anyway, they they he he was actually really into UFOs, right? You know, and he was a radar dude. Anyway, so they picked up this UFO, and the the pilot recorded it, and they confirmed it on radar. It was the full deal, right? You know, the full Monty. Anyway, so they they the the base commander asked the radar guy for a printout of the radar, which he gave him a printout of the radar. And then the guy, radar guy, said, so what happens now, sir? And he said, you forget about it. He said, you forget about it. And the pilot came in, was interviewed for hours about the UFO sighting. That was a report done. And then the base commander passed that report on to Strategic Air Command in Canberra, who in turn passed it on to um, the CIA headquarters in Virginia. And that's that was the procedure. Australia were to do no investigative research at all. They would just pass the information on to the head of the CIA uh, and they would uh, then analyse the information. But Australia was to do no analysing of the UFO phenomenon. That's a shame. Like, you know, there's plenty of sightings that are happening in Australia. Like, you look at Westall in 66, um, mm. you know, a, a perfect example. And I think even then, uh, the American military came in then. So, like, so at what point do you feel like America started taking over Australian military when it, or anything that came into a UFO aspect look, regard? I firmly believe that when it comes to UFO phenomenon, for whatever reason, America has told their allies, this is our business, right? You, this is our business, right? You give all your information regarding this to us and you keep your noses out of it. Now, without wanting to go down the whole conspiracy hole, you know, which is very easy to do in the UFO phenomenon, but if a craft did crash in Roswell and other crashes did happen, and they have back-engineered craft, as like Bob Lazar and many others have said, like, they have a vested interest in keeping this quiet. Because can you imagine how bad 
America would look if they say, yeah, we've had alien technology thousands of years ahead of our technology that we have been using for our military and industrial purposes for our own benefit and stuff the rest is. They ain't going to look like heroes, are they? No, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they're doing that already. You know, it's it seems like an American thing to do, <laughs> not to like, not to discredit like Americans. Like, there's some good people out there, but it's just like it really does seem that way throughout the years. Like the uh, the government in particular, because what I'm more trying to get at, you know, it, yeah. it's more their thing that they try to do. Um, like you're saying, like going down conspiracy roads. You know, you can go like there's even claims like you know JFK was getting into admitting yeah, to yeah. UFOs and that and well you never know the the American government could have assassinated him to shut him up you know because it's going to ruin their agenda um, it's it's a scary reality and it, honestly it really does look like it Americans are being the greedy ones um, so but it also makes I me mean, wonder sorry go on well I was just going to say you know like world politics point of view you know it's it's like Aren't the Germans and the French and the British and everyone else going to come out and say, what? You got this gold on your lap and you didn't share it with all of us? Like, you know, you're just using it for your own benefit. Like, and you're supposed to be our allies? Mm. Are you kidding me? Like, it, it, it's a bad political cat to let out of the bag. Yeah, and I sort of feel the, uh, the cat is going to get out of the bag at some point there, um, as much as they're going to try and hide it, but... I, th- I sort of feel like if um, that whistleblower amendment does come through, uh, it sort of makes you wonder what is going to be out of the bag or is it going to be sort of controlled release on what these whistleblowers are going to go and sort of bring out? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it is definitely a control release and I th- think that's what's going on, you know, with Lou Elizondo and that sort of thing coming out, you know. But he's very careful about what he says and what he can't say, you know, as a lot of whistleblowers are. Um, so, but I think that, yeah, you know, there's, there's a consequence, there's a consequence to what America done. If they have had this technology and not shared it with the rest of the world, which is what they should have done, um, then they're going to look really bad. And so there are consequences and nobody wants to look really bad. So, um, the way this is going to be handled is, is very slow. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing the frustration with disclosure, you, you know, and, uh, you know, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello are running the, you know, this, this thing that they're going to be looking at, you know, um, this UFO investigation task force, you know, two people like Big Whoop, um, you know, but, but it's a slow process because they're trying to cover their backsides because they're going to look bad about this if, if it comes out that, Yes, they have had this technology for such a long time. Now, you know, art imitating life, right? If you look at uh, Men in Black, you know, uh, that famous line of, oh, where do you think Velcro came from? And where do you think computer chips came from? And where do you think this came from? We all back engineered from Roswell, you know, we all got it from the aliens, you know. Well, that may, as ridiculous as that, you know, film was, like a comedy, that may not be that far from the truth. Yeah, definitely. I'm certainly um, on the on the path there where a lot of our technology to this day has come from Roswell. Like you know, it wasn't like 
far off from uh, you know before that we were sort of starting to come into the the engine ages you know like diesel and all sort of stuff but it wasn't really till after Roswell we started getting like the computer chips and you know compact discs and microwaves and all sorts of stuff started really coming out. we started booming with this electrical technology mm. um, so I, I feel it's pretty well close to the truth there when it comes to back engineering that sort of thing with, especially with Roswell anyway yeah well I mean as I said Bob Lazar is a, is a you know a very credible person um, he came up with that element I think it was 112 112 five or whatever it was that he said was an element they discovered uh whilst back engineering these craft and he said that before about four years before the element was discovered yeah yeah and people are still trying to say he's full of shit it's like well he's he's <laughs> told you something that no one even knew of like no one even really knew of area 51 until he mentioned something and the next minute the whole oh no something's happened here you know and it's just those things, you know, people weren't aware of it until he's actually come out. Yeah, yeah, it was a groundbreaking thing. And he was very brave to do it. Um, uh, but yes, he, he he basically came out and spoke to George Knapp in the first interview that he did. He spoke to George Knapp, who is a very well-respected UFO uh, journalist in America, um, basically to save his ass because he... He had left Area 51. He was deemed, he'd had a divorce with his wife. He was deemed as unstable. He thought he might get killed. So he came out and said this as a way of protecting his life. And that's why he did it. Yeah. And if you look at Bob Lazar's history as well, like he hasn't made any money out of this. He's not, he's not getting any benefit out of it. Any money that he has sort of made, he's put it back into charity or put it into like a, a school fund or something like that for or a college or, or something like that, you know. He's not, he's not made that his life. No. Sort of thing, you know, he's just, uh, he's just claimed the truth, told the truth and left his, left like, you know, went back to his life, basically. Um, yeah. So, you know, I feel like, you know, someone who was bullshitting they would be trying to continue to keep yes. rolling, basically, to try and keep that fun happening. Um, I'm not going to try and discredit Stephen Greer in any way, but like you know, some of the things he, I feel he's because he's uh, he's uh, making money out of it. You know, he's turned it into a oh, I can't think of the word now. <laughs> he's he, but he's his life has been has become that, so he can keep a, a rolling fund, basically. Yeah, um, whether Where, his his experiences are true or whatnot, um, I don't know. You're like it's the other thing we we never really know. But he's always seemed to have something new and to add to it, sort of thing, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, where Bob Lazar, he doesn't even really want to do interviews anymore. You know, like he, he, you know, been there, done that. You know, like go look at my other stuff, go read a book. You know, like whatever. Like he he really wants to forget about the whole thing because he's had a lot of bad juju come out of all of that you know as a lot of people like have and as i said the likes of bob dean he was a former nato uh, security officer and a high-ranking military official um you know in the 60s you know he's come out and said some amazing stuff you know and then you've got edgar mitchell um one of the apollo astronauts who come out and said amazing stuff you got um uh, gordon cooper 
who wrote a letter to the United Nations in 1986 pleading with them to take this subject serious. Um, again, you, you know, the list is endless of, of very, very credible people that have nothing to gain and everything to lose by saying these things, and yet they are saying these things. Yeah. So, you know, like, put your psychology cap on for a moment, you know, and go, why would they be doing this? Yeah. Like, I know, touching back on Stephen Gurr again, like, I know he lost his career there as a doctor, um, you know. Um, I don't know if it, it directly impacted his career by coming forward with his claims, um, but I sort of feel like he's going the wrong way about it. Like, you know, with the UFO community, like, we're supposed to be working together here, and the way he was sort of attacking Lou Elizondo, calling his bullshit, you know, I sort of feel that's the, the wrong path. Yeah. Because, um, like, you know, the whole idea is to break open the vaults and let the cat out of the bag of what's actually mm. happening around here. You know, I suppose, like, you know, um, Lou Elizondo could be talking shit for, for all we know. But the fact is, like, he's got the, he had the position in the government there. He was yes. involved in it. Um, there's, he's got papers there to, to backtrack him. You can't, uh, you can't discredit him for what he's claiming. And uh, I no. think uh, even his um, recent thing there, where they're trying to get that amendment for the whistleblowers, they're trying to help with that as well. You know, that's that's another claim there where it's giving him credibility on his position. And so yep. again, you know. Everyone in this topic and the agenda of the UFO world should be all working together to try and help each other to get and release this whole thing. Absolutely. You know, like it, it's so important because, and again, you know, like without wishing to get too conspiratorial, but, you know, uh, uh, in, you know, again, going back to 1952 with the Robertson panel where they, they determined that UFOs could be a threat to national security because the Russians could use it as a precursor to a, uh, an attack on America. So we have to debunk UFOs uh, as, a national, as, a, as a matter of national security. And then in 1969, you had the Condon Report, um, which was the uh, uh, summation of Project Blue Book and previously Project Grudge that preceded uh, Project Blue Book. It was interesting, the guy in who was running Project Grudge, this was going back in, I think, 46 to 50, um, he was starting to wonder of what was going on because he was saying, all his superiors were saying, you know, these are not UFOs. These are Venus. These are meteorites. These are the And he said, this is not matching information. So he's starting to scratch his head and going, what is going on here? You know, why, why am I being told to come up with the answers that do not fit the evidence. What is happening? Now, he had a massive heart attack at 36. Make your own outcome out of that one. But he was out of the way. And then not long after that, they moved, moved it to Project Blue Book. And in 1969, the Condon Report by a physicist, James Condon, uh, um, was to make a summary of Project Blue Book, who had thousands and thousands of UFO reports. And he, the actual Condon report was like hundreds and hundreds of pages. 
hundreds and hundreds of pages of reports and analysis and everything. Um, no one reads stuff that's 100, 100 pages, you know. No. So everyone reads the summary. So Condon wrote the summary and just basically said it's all crap. And there were two guys that were involved in the putting together of the Condon uh, report. You know, like there was more than one person on him. There was a bunch of physicists and scientists that were doing it. Anyway, they just they just went up to Condon and said, this is crap. What you're writing is not matching the evidence. We've got like 20% of these sightings that we can't explain. No one can explain. And you're saying it's all crap. Like, this is, this is wrong. And he accused them of being traitors and they were both sacked. It's a shame, isn't it? This whole thing to cover up the truth. This is what the CIA have been doing for a very long time, 70 years, right? And they're still doing it to some extent. But it's like they're really, really slowly letting go. Really, really slowly and going. And that's why they're, oh, no, we need to redact this stuff. Oh, no, we can't tell you everything because it's national security. I mean, this is all part of those same government agencies, the CIA, the NSA, the FBI that want to keep this information to themselves for whatever reason, like whether it's they don't want to frighten the American public, whether it's they don't want to get people to know that, yeah, let that cat out of the bag, that they have had this kind of information which could be incredibly beneficial to the world. What what if German scientists or Japanese scientists or Chinese scientists or I don't know, whoever, would come over and look at this stuff and, and figure out, oh, I could do this and I could do that. And who knows what marvellous breakthroughs we would have for humanity if more people looked at it than just the Americans. But they're not putting it out there because they're hanging on to it because they want to just get all, all the juice out of it for themselves. Yeah, we look at so through this, the, um, the information there when the, um, on the, the reports and that, the, the reduction, they're, they're reducting the shape. It's like what part of that is going to go and blow... The, the reality of what's hap- what these crafts are, you know, like, yeah. um, it's it's a stupid thing to react. To be honest, like it could be a round craft, it could be a triangle craft, it could be a, the shape of a plane, the shape of a car flying. You know, it's not really going to give that much detail of a secret evidence. You know, like that that could um, hinder someone. Um, I'm trying to try and think where I'm trying to go with this, but you know, like what, what part of that is. Yeah, what part of that is national and, and And none of it, you know, because, you know, like, if China or Russia does have this sort of equipment, doesn't the American government need to know that? Doesn't the American people need to know that? You know, like, at, at what point the CIA, NSA, FBI, the the the... the Guarders of the truth that have the right to 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 know what the the American government, who's their employers, should know and what they shouldn't, and the American people, who really uh, ultimately employ the American government in a way. I mean, they elect them. They they their taxes pay for their salary. Are they not, you know, supposedly working for the American people? Well, public servant. Yes. So why why isn't the people that are paying for it, which is the public, 
uh, privy to this information. Yeah. You know, as I said, and and they're not. And this is why that this is the last wall that needs to be pushed open and broke through like the Berlin Wall. Um, this is the last one that needs to be broken because otherwise we're, we're just going to get banged around like we have been um, for 70 years by saying, well, we can't tell you that. It's a bit too, it's a bit too national security-ish. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll finally get something that's actually a lot more credible and they can't, you know, can't discredit or, you know, give... Um uh, an explanation to. I'm hoping that there's going to be some sort of real clear evidence at some point where they can actually go. That is 100% legit. We can't we can't call it a flying goose or a, a drone or something. Like that. And I'm hoping for that day. I'm waiting for it, and I'm really do hope it does come out in my lifetime. Look, I've seen a video, and you've probably seen it too, of Barack Obama being interviewed on American TV about UFOs, right? And he didn't say, you know, I'd been to Area 51. Yes, there's craft there and there's aliens hanging up and all that. But he said, quite straightforward, there are craft there that do not, not obey the laws of physics as we understand it. They are unknown craft. Unknown craft. Not Russians, not Chinese, unknown. And he said, that's just the truth. Now, that's Barack Obama. It leads a lot to how much is um, being told to them too, because um, obviously, you know, there's always been reports there too where someone higher up than the president or someone along those lines saying, "Nah, the president doesn't need to know that sort of thing." So it oh, makes you wonder, like, how much has been hidden away from presidents or even other people in that higher regard? <laughs> because Jimmy Carter saw a UFO when he was a. Um uh, a naval uh, seaman uh, saw a, a UFO in early in his life. So when he became president, he asked the then uh, head of the CIA, who was George Bush Sr., um, to tell him about UFOs, everything he knew about UFOs. And George Bush Sr. said, Mr. President, you don't have the clearance. That's, that's the highest, highest diplomatic, or I don't know, the king of America basically doesn't have the clearance. <laughs> you don't have the clearance, Mr. President. Sorry. And that was it. Could you imagine saying that? That's a Jimmy Carter thing. Yeah. Well, Ronald Reagan tried to find out. Bill Clinton tried to find out. Barack Obama tried to find out. Now we're all Stonewall. That's right. It's sort of um, sad at the same time, you know, like, you know, presidents have been trying to release this information, but always, yeah, like you said, just get stonewalled all the time. Um, and it's like, oh, I don't know, we're like covering, but it's like, why does it need to be, like, how, how can the presidents not even have the authority to go and explain this, you know? They're, they're supposed to be the, the top dog. Mm. Well, again, going back you know there were there were you know the way that little bits of truth are thrown in amongst the crap going back to uh you know independence day where you know they, they take the president down to area 51 and there's the alien sort of wandering around in this you know this big glass containers in you know juice or whatever and you know why didn't you tell me there's a plausible denial mr president plausible denial 
So as if you said, you know, if someone asked you, the, you know, have we got UFOs? Have we got free crash? No, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. Absolutely not. No, 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 because I'd know about it. So you don't tell him, that's what you're going to say. So he's not sort of, you know, well, no, not really. Um, you know. <laughs> so plausible denial. So I think that's part of it, you know, and also when you look at it, like, and you, you remember the show, Yes, Minister? You know, the old British uh, comedy show, Yes, Minister, Vaguely. with Paul Eddington, time, probably. Apple be anyway. But it, it showed that the government in England was run by the public service. It was run by the public service, not the elected uh, people, elected politicians. Because the public servants were there like long term. They'd been there 50 years or some damn thing. Politicians come and go, come and go, come and go. So it, it's the same with uh, any kind of government, that the public servants are the ones that actually uh, um, run the show. Because the elected officials, they just come and go. They're just the face. Uh, like, I don't know, you, you know, you're here now, you're going to be gone tomorrow, whereas the... The other guys are going to be there. You know, they're 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 career people. They're there for thirty or forty years, yeah. so they're the only ones that they trust. And all for the greater good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's good? Oh yeah. So look, mate. Um, we're going to have to finish it up here, mate. Coming towards the end of the show, there, mate. Uh, and look, mate, we've got so much more to cover. Um, I'd love to get you back on the show at some point to just continue yep. on with a bit of the um the Australian investigations you've done over the years as well. So um, when you're available again, mate, um, we'll talk after the show here and try and get you back on then again if you're willing. Yeah, absolutely. Love to. Love to. No, it's been a great chat. No, mate, look, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been fantastic having you on. And, um, yeah, mate, all the best, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, Anthony. Cheers, mate. See you later. And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger or email at australianufosightings@outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo!